right. Wow. Sean was not lying. You guys rock. You're awesome. That's great. Never been introduced that way ever, ever. I like it. Do they introduce that, you that way every week, Dave? Is that your, doesn't usually happen. So, hey, I'm excited to be here. Very thankful that Dave uh, thought of asking me to come. I don't consider myself one of Indiana's best preachers, not by a long shot. I know a lot of preachers, and I'm way down that list, but I'm honored to get to be here with you all. I've, I've watched from afar a long time and uh, been friends with Dave for quite a few years and watched what he's done and, and, and just watched this church and what God's done here. And it's just fun to get to see other churches anyway. I've been walking around the building, checking it all out. We like to learn from each other uh, because really... There is no such thing as innovation. It's just borrowing from others, and, and that's what I like to do, go around and see what others are doing. And so I love it, and I'm glad to be here. Just to tell you a little bit about myself, I have been a, a lifetime Hoosier. I did go on a, 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 a four-year stint uh, to Bible college in Kentucky, at Kentucky Christian uh, there. So I was there. So I did live in Kentucky for a short time. And, uh, but I've always been an IU fan, grew up in Indiana, but actually I grew up, yeah, I grew up in French Lick, Indiana. Anybody ever heard of French Lick, Indiana? All right. So there's another guy from there you might've heard of, but, uh, I'm not quite as famous as that hick from French Lick, but I grew up in French Lick, Indiana. So I'm, I'm about a half hour from where I grew up, Jasper is, and it's really been fun to watch what God's done there. Let me just tell you a little bit more about myself. You know, growing up in a town with a famous uh, Hall of Fame basketball player, you might think that my life dream was to be an NBA star. Most guys I know, most men in particular, I, don't, I can't speak for girls, but they grow up thinking that they want to be a professional athlete. Uh, that's their goal, professional athlete, maybe a rock star, something like that if you're a musician, you want to be a rock star. I, and, and I think God let me know early on my athletic ability wasn't going to allow me to do that. But I'll tell you, my dream was never, ever, ever to be a professional basketball player, baseball player, football player. Uh, I, my, my dream, since as long as I can ever, ever remember, was to preach. I mean, for as long as I ever, ever remember. Yeah, it's just crazy to think about that I don't remember a time when I did not want to be a preacher. That has been my passion. Now, don't misunderstand me. I haven't always lived like a preacher. I, I, my teenage years, sometimes I wasn't quite what I should be. I'll guarantee you that. But I always knew what I wanted to do. And you might say, well, how did that happen? Well, I believe God uses all kinds of things. But one of the main things that happened is when I was a baby, uh, our home church, the Red Quarry Christian Church, a little bitty country church, they took in a missionary from Haiti. This guy came over from Haiti. His name was Leon D'Orleans. And he came over to Ozark Christian College to become, uh, to study for ministry. And somehow or another, some people brought him to the French Lick area to introduce him to our churches. And he started a summer job to help pay for his college at the French Lick Springs Resort. He was a server. He was a waiter at the French Lick Springs Resort. And our church kind of took him in. But Leon started that job, and he was living in the waiter's quarters, and he was a brand new Christian, and the waiter's quarters there at that time was really, really rough. Like, it was not a place for a new Christian to live, and he just didn't feel uncomfortable. So my family, my mom and my dad, two of the finest people ever in the world, uh, took Leon in to live with us in our house while he worked at the French Lake Springs Resort. 
And he lived with us, and he was just like another family member. Our church ordained him in the ministry. He's going to celebrate next Sunday. He's going to celebrate 50 years of relationship with the Red Quarry Christian Church and my family. But here's the deal. When I was a little baby, he was kind of prophetic. He held me, and he called me Preacher Man. He called me Preacher Man. And that name stuck, and it's still stuck to this day. I grew up in a time where we talked on CB radios, and my radio handle was Preacher Man. Most of my passwords are Preacher Man. I shouldn't say that. You'll be stealing my bank stuff. It, that name stuck, and God used Leon and his passion for reaching lost people and preaching the gospel to put in me this desire to preach. And then my preachers at my home church, they kind of took that under their wings, and Mike McHugh, who, who was a preacher when I was a kid, he taught me my first sermon. I preached my first sermon at 10 years old, and then... Jack uh, Talbert was a preacher for about 13 years of my life, and he just took me under his wings, and he mentored me. And all the while, I knew what I was going to do, and they taught me this passion for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when I began to preach, it just felt like it was what I was supposed to do. But I have a very interesting approach to preaching. My goal in preaching, while I want to build up believers, my goal is to inspire believers and reach lost people. Like my heart's desire is to change the balance of heaven and hell. To know that because of what God's used me for, the balance of heaven and hell has changed. More people in heaven, less people in hell. And so I took that in the ministry with me. And so when we started the church in Jasper 23 years ago, when, when a very first Sunday I preached from Mark chapter 2. You might know that story. It's where these four men carried their paralytic friend to try to get him to see Jesus. He was teaching in a house. There was not room for him. So what they do? They went up on the roof. They tore the roof open and lowered their friend down. Jesus said, man, his sins are forgiven. The the Religious leaders started grumbling because nobody that's religious likes when their church service gets interrupted, do they? And so they're grumbling, and Jesus said, what's easier, to say, your sins are forgiven, or say, get up and take your mat and walk? And he told him to get up. He got up, walked. I can just vision that, that, that room just parting. And he walked out in full view of everybody, and everybody's praising God, thinking, what in the world just happened? And so I preached that sermon. I said, you know what our goal is as a church? You know why we started this church today? You know why we're going to be here? We're going to wreck the roof to get people to Jesus. We're going to remove any unnecessary barriers between the world and Jesus. That's our goal. That's our heart's desire. And that's why I'm wired. That's who I am. But what I've discovered is what I think I've discovered is we struggle sometimes with that for a lot of reasons. But one of the main reasons we struggle with that, because the barrier between God and people is sometimes us. Because what we see is we see the world as the enemy. We see the very people we're supposed to be trying to reach as enemies in war. But they're not enemies in war. They're prisoners of war. They are prisoners of war. And so the church sees the crowd and the, the evil of the world as, as enemies of God. There's this barrier. And so I was thinking about what to preach coming down here. And I decided not to bring my best sermon. 
but to bring something that I think God laid on my heart from Romans chapter 10. It's a passage of scripture that every time I read it, if you have your Bibles and you go there or you go there in your devices, every time I read it, it convicts me, but it also fires me up. It challenges me. It gets me excited. Romans chapter 10, Jesus or Paul is writing about this, this, this salvation that comes through Jesus. And he says, Romans 10, 13, he says this, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go to tell them without being sent? That is why scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers of the good news. Now think about that passage, what Paul is saying there. He says, who will be saved? Everyone who calls on the name of Jesus. Everybody who trusts Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Everybody who just totally depends on him. They know they can't earn it. They can't do enough good to get there. They can't avoid enough bad to get there. They just have to simply trust Jesus. They call on him. Everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. Everyone. That's a pretty inclusive term. Everyone who calls on the name of Jesus. But then Paul says something interesting. He said, but how can they call on the name that the one that they, that they don't believe in? And how can they believe in him if someone hasn't told them about him, and how can anybody tell them about him if they're not sent to do that? If they're not sent. And there it is. That's what hit me in the teeth. That the goal of the church is to send people to tell them about Jesus. To send people to every street corner, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. To send people around the world and across the street. To send people with this message that Jesus will save them. They just need to trust them. And I believe our churches have to go back to the drawing board and really focus and dial in on sending people. That we have to send people out. You can tell the health of a church sometimes by its seating capacity. But I believe you can tell a church's health even more so by its sending capacity. Seating capacity is great. Sending capacity is even greater. Because the church that sends people out is sending people on the mission. Because after all, it all started with somebody being sent. For God so loved the world that he what? Sent. His one and only son. And he was constantly sending his disciples out. You see, we've created a church sometimes full of spectators. But we're not here just to spectate. We're here to be inspired and encouraged and equipped to go out into the world and take this message to a world that is lost without Jesus. And there's a shortage of that. And I believe the church has to be on a sending mission. Now, this shortage comes in two fronts. This lack of sending comes on two fronts. The first front is there is a shortage of vocational ministers today. David, I was just talking about this over dinner. Literally, when, when, when I was younger, there would be 
50 of me applying for one ministry job. And it's kind of flip-flop, and there's, there's, there's 50 jobs and only one minister. There is a, if you talk to our, our restoration movement, independent Christian church leaders, whether it be Bible college leaders or just ministry leaders, they will tell you there has been a huge drop-off in the amount of people going into full-time vocational ministry. And while we believe in the priesthood of all believers, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute, we also believe there is a very important calling for the people to equip God's people for works of service. There is a special, how beautiful is the feet that takes the gospel. There's something special, and we're lacking that, and we need to send more people out because there are missionaries and ministers and pastors dying and retiring faster than we can ever dream of raising them up. And so we've got to get busy raising up people for vocational ministry. One of the things I'm most excited about at Redemption, uh, the church that I get to lead, is in the last 10 years we've had 11 students come out of our student ministries and go into full-time vocational ministry. And we're so excited. It's one of the most exciting. That's right. That's, uh, and they're, they're in the ministry. Listen, they're in the ministry in Jasper, in Lagodi, in Indianapolis, in Corden, in, Log in Illinois, in Georgia. And there's ones we had in church on Sunday, a girl that grew up in our ministry that's on the mission field in North Africa, and I can't even tell you where for, for security reasons. And that's just an awesome thing that we see. So there's this shortage, and we've got to correct that. But there's another shortage. There's a shortage in everyday kingdom workers. You see, it's not just the minister's job. I think we sometimes think it's the preacher's jobs to go win the lost. No, it's the preacher's job. Yeah, we should be winning the lost too. But it's our jobs to raise up the church and send them out to win the lost. Everyday kingdom workers, there's a big shorter in that. We've, we've raised up a generation of people that believe it's their job to come to church. When we know the reality is the job is to be the church. That's what we're called to do as Christ followers. When you get out of the baptistry, you're in the ministry. Every last one of you who are here, if you're a Christ follower, you are in a ministry. We can just have an ordination service right now for the whole church because you are in the ministry. And we have to have this priesthood of all believers. Jesus would say we're to be salt of the earth, the light of the world. Paul would say that we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God is making his appeal through us. You are called, folks, to give people a daily encounter with Jesus through the words you speak and the actions you take. That's your goal in life. We're to be this light of the world. Imagine the difference our country could be in right now. If everybody who said they were Christians would take this seriously. Can you imagine if we all saw it as our goal to take the message of Jesus, not to preach on street corners, not to beat it in people's head, not to use political power to get them there, but just to dial in on taking the message of Jesus everywhere. Because I'm telling you what, when you look out, people need Jesus. And they're actually looking and they don't even know it. You know what I've noticed? I've been reading through the Gospels this year. And the disciples often saw the crowds as hindrances. They weren't powerful. They didn't have a lot of political power. They didn't have a lot of means. And the disciples like tried to keep them away from Jesus. They tried to send them away. Over and over and over again, you see this. 
But Jesus didn't see them as hindrances. One such occasion come from Matthew chapter 9. I love this. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 and on. It says, Jesus traveled through all the towns and the villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. You see what happened here? Jesus saw the crowds. Disciples saw them as hindrances. He saw them as potential. In fact, I would here to tell you, when Jesus looks at the world, he saw potential. And we need to do the same thing. We need to see the world through Jesus. He saw them as lost children of God. He saw them as sheep who needed a shepherd. He saw them as people who needed a savior. And I want us to see the world like Jesus. Some might look at the troubles around us and they might say, wow, church attendance is is on the decline. Spirituality is down. Uh, Moral values are tanking. Families are falling apart. Uh, Christians are being ridiculed. Uh, The economy is stagnating. Heroes are crashing and burning. But I'll tell you what I say to you. Look at the fields. They're ripe for the harvest. And I grow really weary and tired of churches that focus on all the doom and gloom and and, and churches that are constantly just fighting cultural wars. And I'm put off by a church that just wants to curse the darkness all the time because the job of the church is not to curse the darkness but to turn on the light. And I'm here to tell you the light shines the brightest in a dark room. That's when it shows up. So we have an opportunity like never, ever before to be the law, the the, the light of the world, to to reach people for Jesus. We have a bunch of seekers out there. I don't know if you realize it or not, but they're looking. They're looking for acceptance. They're looking for fulfillment. They're looking for love. They're looking for all kinds of meaning. The problem is they're looking at all the wrong places, as the old country song said. They're looking for it in the wrong places. But we got an opportunity as the church to send the church out, to send everybody who calls Jesus followers out, to show them, to make them thirsty for Jesus, to, to show them what it's all about. The potential is huge. The fields are ripe for the harvest. There's not a greater time in the world to be a part of the church There's never been a better time to be a part of the church. And I'm here to tell you, our group of churches, our tribe of churches, the Restoration Movement churches, it's even greater time. They're growing like never before. In the last 20 years, the Christian churches, churches of Christ, have grown more than almost any other movement because we know the mission is before us. So Jesus identifies the problem now, though. He said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Now comes the bad news, right? He diagnoses the challenge. The harvest is huge, but the workers are few. There is a lack of sending and going going on. Now, can you imagine a vineyard 
owner, how frustrating it must be if, if, if the grapes are dying on the vine. They're just dying on the vine because there's nobody to pick them. Now, some of you who are employers, you have businesses, you get it right now, right? You got help wanted signs, you're raising what you're paying, still can't find enough workers, and you get it. But what Jesus is saying is the kingdom of God is, has a shortage on workers as well. There's a shortage of people, both vocationally ministry and everyday people that need to go out. He said, the fields are ripe for the harvest, but the workers are few. But then he proposes a solution. Jesus proposes the solution to the problem. And it's really simple. He says, pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out workers. Pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out. Pray to God for more harvest workers. That's an amazing thing. You know, sometimes we don't know how to pray in the will of God. Here we do. Jesus tells us what's the will. Pray that God would send out more harvest workers. Now, when I teach on prayer, though, I say there are three ways that you pray for every single thing that you're supposed to pray for. The first way you pray is you pray persistently. Jesus told some parables about that, didn't he? You just keep on knocking. You keep on asking. He told her, a parable about the widow going to the judge over and over, just almost badgering. And Jesus says, this is the way we pray. Why is it? Because there's this communion with God when we talk to him. We get on the same page. We get focused. And he says, you just pray persistently. How about you do this? How about you commit to this for me? You make it your commitment to pray every single day this coming week for more harvest workers. Pray. God says he wants to give you the desires of your heart. What if the desire of your heart is to send more people out to change the balance of heaven and hell? This persistent communication. Another way we teach on prayer, though, is we say you're supposed to pray specifically. Like, like there's, we don't just recite general prayers over and over and, and, and write prayers. No, no, no. We, we want to pray. God says you and ask for anything in the name of my son. So we literally can get specific. In, in one place, James, the brother of Jesus, says, you have not because you don't ask for it. And so I'm here to tell you, you pray persistently and you pray specifically. And the third way we pray is we pray actively. We pray actively, and this really applies to this issue. But, but let me just give you another way you pray actively. If I don't have a job and I pray for a job, I don't just pray for a job and then sit and watch Netflix all the next day, do I? No, I pray for the job and then I go out and I beat the pavement and I look online and I find a place to get a job. When I was in college, I tried to just pray that I would do well on my test. It didn't work. I was like, why don't you pray and study and pray that I help you remember what you studied? That worked a whole lot better. See, we pray actively. And I think when it comes to harvest working, we need to pray more actively. We need to put some feet to our prayers. We need to truly do good in this way. I like another thing in the book of James. He said, what good is it to say, hey, I wish you're, poor, you're, you're hungry, I wish you well. No, no, no. He said, you've got to feed them. In other words, we've got to put some action to what our desires are. And so we can pray, but we need to also pray. Do what we can while we're praying. We need to be willing to go ourselves. We are Christ ambassadors. We're raising up people. So we need to pray specifically for more vocational 
ministry workers, but we also need to support our kids going off for ministry training. We need to pour into our kids' ministries, our student ministries. I mean, I'm so passionate about our student ministries because I believe that is the only way we're going to raise up people that understand that they're everyday kingdom workers. No offense to us older people, but we've gotten used to doing church the way we did church. So we got to start fresh and raise these kids up to know that they are called to be ministers of the gospel every single day. And we, we get involved with that. And maybe some of you need to think about going into some kind of ministry yourself. I mean, so many people work their whole lives to retire for what? For what? I'm not putting down retirement, but... There's no real retirement talked about in the Bible. We can retire from a job, but we don't retire from God's work. I have a guy in my church. He was in the grocery business his entire career. He retired from that, and now, you know what he does all the time? He fills in ministry pulpits. He volunteers as a chaplain in our local uh, hospital, and he calls me each week to see who he can go see and pray with from sick people. Another guy in my church that was working in the factory his whole life, and he said, I don't want to retire, but I can't do this stuff with my back anymore. So we ended up connecting him with Jasper Engines and Transmissions, a, a local company where we're at, and he's now their chaplain. He's leading people in Bible studies every uh, day at noon. He's going to funerals, uh, counseling people, connecting him with our counselors. It's just an it's amazing partnership because he said, I'm not retiring. I just want to do something even more. For Some of you are getting ready to have more time at your disposal than you've ever had before. Maybe God's calling you to the mission field or ministry in some way or another. It's time to understand that we need to put some feet to our prayers. We have another couple that's selling her house and moving to Atlanta to do apartment ministry. I have a, I have a lady that was volunteering our children's ministry, and she came and she said, I love our church, but my home church, the little bit church of 30 people, doesn't have anything for kids. I feel like God's telling me to go back there and start a kid's church. And I said, go. And when, you know what? Take some of our stuff with, it, with you. Because, listen, that's what we're called to do. And I believe what I said earlier is so important. Some of you, maybe the way you can help raise up both vocational ministers and everyday kingdom workers is to get involved in your kids and student ministry. It's one of the reasons I'm involved in ours. I go to camp every summer, and I go to CIY every summer, and I lead our juniors, or, or excuse me, our sophomore boys. I started with them in sixth grade, and I'm going all the way through with them. Why do I do that? Because I believe with all my heart that if they don't have some exposure to ministry life, none of them are going to go into it. So I was leading a young man in our church, his group, and I saw some gifts in him, and I started calling him preacher man. Right before senior year, he said, Daryl, I feel called to the ministry. He went to Johnson, Christian, uh, Johnson University, and now he's on staff up the road here in Corden doing a great ministry. I'm telling you what, we need to do everything we can to point the next generation to going out on this mission. We need to speak words of encouragement to young people. Tell them, you know what, I see some gifts in you. Maybe you should think about ministry or maybe you should share that. Because I'm going to tell you that's how it starts. I have a friend in Baltimore, Maryland named Ben Kacharis. 
Ben has been a great encourager to me. Ben's church, it's a, thousands of people, multi-site church in Baltimore, Maryland. He actually, uh, in the last 10 years, they baptized over 5,000 people. He's doing this great ministry, and I learned something a couple years ago. It didn't just start with Ben. You see, his grandfather was named Constantine Kacharis. And in, he was born in Greece in 1891. And he had this dream of coming to America. And his family wanted him to come to America, so they sold a farm, a plot of land, to pay for his way. At 15 to 16 years old, he came over here by himself uh, on a ship, landed at Ellis Island to try to live the American dream. He had a rough start, but he ended up somehow in Omaha, Nebraska, shining shoes at a busy section of travelers. And one day, he was shining some shoes of this man named Dr. John Baptist. What a name, right? And he was shining his shoes, and Dr. John Baptist was reading the newspaper, and he heard him speaking in his native tongue of Greek. And he pulled down his newspaper. And he said, young man, what are you going to do with your life? I mean, you could teach Greek in college. You could teach Latin. You could do some great things, but you got to have an education. Have you ever thought about getting an education? Constantine said, oh, that costs money. I can't do that. And he said, well, you know what? I did my undergraduate work at Johnson Bible College in Knoxville, Tennessee. And I know some people there, and I can get you in there. You need to go to college. And you know what? He agreed to do it, and he not only got him connected, but he helped pay his way there. And so Constantine Concheris got into Johnson Bible College. He wasn't even a Christian yet, and he heard the gospel. He gave his life to Christ, was baptized in a creek there in, in near Knoxville, and he graduated from Bible College and took a church in the Northeast where he began to preach the gospel to many, many people. And then he got connected with Minnesota Bible College where he taught for 40-plus years, hundreds and hundreds of students, and trained them in Greek and biblical ministry all the way through it. Just to, He helped start a church camp. He had his influence on so many people. In fact, Ben, I told him I was going to use this illustration. He sent me a picture. They gathered up. All four of his kids went in the ministry, and many of their grandkids went in the ministry. All those people in that picture are in some type of ministry involvement because of Constantine but more than that, because a man decided to put down his newspaper and said, young man, what are you going to do with your life? What kind of difference could we make if we started living life that way? If the church committed itself to raising up and being, not just sending out, but being ourselves. Because it's important to send missionaries around the world, but it's important to send missionaries across the street and down the hallway and across the cubicle and across the neighborhood and in Walmart and in traffic, everywhere you go, to take the gospel message of Jesus Christ, to love people, to love God, to love people and change the world because the harvest is great, the workers are few. So pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out workers. Because I'm here to tell you, folks, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on the name of the one they don't believe in? 
And how can they believe in him if no one tells them? And how can they tell him if no one sends them? Church, I believe it is our calling. It is our job. It is our opportunity to start a tidal wave of gospel salvation around this world. But it starts right here at home. You see, Jesus said, you'll be my, my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's home. In Judea, that's the region. In Samaria, that's close to there, but very different ethnically. And then to the very ends of the earth. Church, this is what we are made for. And we are here for such a time as this. So let's decide. We're going to start praying, and we're going to start going, and we're going to start being, and we're going to change the balance of heaven and hell. And someday, I just believe that we're going to get to heaven, and somehow God's going to get us a picture of all the people that got there through the ministry that he did through you and through me. I believe we have the greatest potential ahead of us as ever before. So let's trust God and let's go. Pray with me. Father God, if there's someone here who's never accepted this message, may the very first verse we read, everyone who believes in him shall be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus, maybe today's the day of their salvation, Lord. I'm not good enough. They're not good enough. The only way we get the heaven we deserve because Jesus took the hell that we deserved. And we're so grateful for it. And Lord, may we be so grateful for it for those of us who are saved that we will go out, that we will make it our life's mission to make a difference for you, to give people a daily encounter with you through the words we speak and the deeds we do. We love you and we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for calling us to this. And it's in your son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.